What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Forgotten Outdoors podcast. We're really excited about a guest that we have on today, Joe Andresen. Uh, we go way back with Joe to our, our high school days. Sugar City. Sugar City. That's about all of our guests right now. I promise we'll branch out, but it's just like we have all these gold people that we know from Sugar City, it's and true. so we know that we need to get them on the podcast. So yeah, Joe, we, we grew up with him. He used to run track back in the day, do all sorts of relays and stuff. We we were decent, I guess. I <laughs> yeah, don't know. we were pretty good. <laughs> we were pretty good. Not the worst out there. So, uh, so we're going to go ahead, Joe, and just have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and uh um and then we'll kind of get into the topic of the day cool yeah um so yeah my name is joe i grew up in sugar uh with these guys uh they're a little bit older than me uh it was kind of like when i was a kid i was like oh looking up to these guys they're kind of cool <laughs> and now look at um, us yeah now look at us <laughs> and now we're just Who'd in a thought? dingy basement <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um i my story with the outdoors is a little similar to Ben's where we just didn't really do, I mean, I was into sports and stuff in high mm-hmm. school, didn't do a lot of like outdoor stuff, even though I lived in a place that was like really good for that. Um, one of the best like fishing areas in the world. Like, yeah. I mean, people travel here from all over the place and uh, I just, yeah, I never thought I moved away for college, never thought I'd uh, be coming back. Here I am, just work brought me back and while I was away, I kind of got into what most people would think of as bird watching. Um, it's a little more complex than that. I mean, <laughs> when you say bird watching, you think of like your your grandma reading a book, <laughs> watching out, like off the patio at her bird watcher or a bird feeder, and uh, yeah, we like kind of like to call what I do birding. Um, it's more of like a competitive thing. Um, I don't know. Should we get into that right now? Talk about what yeah, birding so, is? Or? So that's yeah. kind of, for our listeners, that's kind of why we brought Joe on. So Joe has kind of been, um, he's been a listener and he's kind of given us feedback throughout the process of us starting and launching our podcast. Um, and we found out that Joe is into birding and that's something that me and Ben have never tapped into. And as as we've kind of had other guests on, we typically like to have guests come on that um, talk about things that we're not familiar with. So mm-hmm. In the past, we've had Landon Cleverly. He's talked about mountain biking. Then we had Dax Harris talk about outdoor photography. And so so this is kind of the pattern that we like to do with our guests is to talk about things that we aren't familiar with. So, so yeah, I think, I mean, Ben. I mean, yeah, ben. I mean, that's just our whole mission, like, with the Forgotten Outdoors, you know, podcast is when it's Thomas and I, we like to talk a lot about hunting. You know, that's kind of what gets us outside or fishing. Um, but there's so many other aspects to the outdoors and we find it really interesting to, you know, interview people and get them on and kind of see a different side to the outdoors and what's driving people, what gets them excited, how they got into it. So we'll dive into all that right now. So, yeah, we're, birding is kind of the thing that is getting you into the outdoors. So how did you get started with that? Like what, what got you into it? Well, to be honest, I, I don't know. I always kind of liked the outdoors. I kind of started liking hiking and uh, my dad's a really good fisherman and stuff. So I, I like being outside. Uh, I didn't realize I lived in a really good place for birds. Like, we had a bald eagle nest in our backyard for, yeah, like... you did. Ben, yeah, Ben remembers <laughs> this. Yeah, we, we had a bald eagle's nest back there forever. And while I was actually gone away at college, that tree that was in fell over, and they started rebuilding the nest mm-hmm. in the same in a different tree. So kind of a cool bird story there. But I, um, I think it was, like, when I was 18 or something, I watched this movie called The Big Ear. Um, and not big ear, like, earlobe, like... 
the big year. Um, so 12 months and it was, it's basically about these guys that spend ridiculous amounts of money to just go around and they try to see as many birds as they possibly can in one year in North America. And it's like a big national competition. Um, (laughs) and so it's got some pretty big names like Jack Black and Owen Wilson and Steve Martin are like kind of the main characters. So it's like some comedy actors playing this sort of funny, sort of serious movie um, about trying to find as many bird species as you possibly can. And it does a really good job of highlighting the community of people that do this. So there's just like, I mean, I didn't realize, I looked it up. There's there's a statistic where like, I think it's like 25 thousand people or something like that consider themselves baseball players in the United States Mm -hmm. and more than double that consider themselves birders. Hmm. Um, so it's just like a huge community of people all over the place that, uh, just try to find as many bird species as they can. And it's, I say semi-competitive because it's not like, well, some people take it to the extreme, but most people like me, um, just, they kind of keep their own personal list of birds. They kind of try and uh, see as many birds as they can see in one specific area. And the nice thing is like birds are everywhere. So you can kind of like wherever you go, you can bird. You don't, I mean, like I don't have anything against hunting or fishing, but it's almost more accessible than those. Right. Because like you can just go outside and you'll see a bird. Right. So, so I guess my question would be, so like you said, the movie is called the big year. Um, so is that what you do? Do you like reset every year? Like, oh, this is what I got this year, and my list goes to zero, and I start again January one. Yeah, so it's kind of a personal thing in that sense. Like, if you, most people that have been into it for a little while will kind of do that, um, but different people take it to different extremes. Um, like, there's a book uh, called Birding Without Borders by Noah Stricker where this guy wants to set the world big year record where he takes a year mm-hmm. and just goes all over the world. Like, nobody had ever tried that before. Um, but there's also people like me who just kind of, like, if I'm traveling with family, maybe I'll take, like, a morning and go out and see as many birds as I can. Like, mm-hmm. me and my wife, like, we go down to Vegas sometimes and we'll, you know, it's for different reasons, but I'll go out and try to bird, you know, get a few extra yeah. birds. Yeah. Me and my brother-in-law are both into it, and we kind of have, like, a competition between the two of us. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but you can also do, like, big days um, where you just take one day and see how many birds you can see. You can do, um, uh, like, big months. Um, people will do, like, state big years or, like, county big years. Um, there's also something called the big sit um, where you take – you can't move outside of, like, a – a circle that you draw on the ground and then you can only count as many birds that you see from that circle. So, um, there's all kinds of different ways you can do it. Um, and most people will keep a life list. So, and that's kind of like the, the overarching goal for me is just to have a big life list, you know, right. Um, accumulate as many bird species as you can throughout your life. Um, and you know, wherever your life takes you, um, kind of adds to that so it's kind of nice that way so are there like actual competitions where people are like putting money in on these and like how many birds can you see like in a big month or a big year or something like that and like you have to get like photo evidence or is it just kind of like a you make your list and people kind of take your word for it type of thing yeah that's a good question so um there's an organization called the american birding uh the american birding association and they uh, or aba so they 
kind of officiate the North American big year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I say officiating, but it's really, it's all in the honor system. The bottom line is they don't, the prize isn't a big deal. Um, <laughs> like they don't like give out thousands of dollars for like the best birder of the year. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they put out a magazine every month and at the end of the year, they do like a big year competition magazine edition and they'll like list all the people and include their year lists. And like they're, these people are like just recently we've uh, broken the 800 species mark mm-hmm. in North America. So, um, crazy. so yeah, it gets pretty crazy. These people go all over the place and try to find rarities that like fly in from Mexico. Cause you know, for this specific big year, you can't cross down past the border Yeah, kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, you don't need photo evidence. So there's kind of like a hierarchy of, of proof. If you can get a photograph with like a location pin, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like the <laughs> ideal. Yeah. Um, you like one step down from that is just maybe like a crummy picture. And then a step down from that would be you just saw it and you know what it is and people mm-hmm. trust you. Step down from that is you heard it. If you can identify it by sound, oh, you okay. don't have to see it. So okay, um, that's a whole new level of expertise. Oh yeah. <laughs> now we're talking about stuff that we understand, which is like the noises of, of like elk and deer and things like that. Like when you hear, well, actually on our bear hunt, like mm-hmm. on our most recent bear hunt, we're sitting there, and we hear a turkey, gobbling in the canyon, and it was like, we stopped everything. It was just like, oh, yeah. there's a turkey. Let's try to get it called in so we can look at it. So so that's interesting. So I guess my question is. How many birds do you think that you could identify by just the noise? Like a ton? By just sound alone, me? Um, I'm probably pushing 100 species (laughs) by sound alone. I'm getting there. (laughs) My freaking word. The problem, so the thing is most of the birds that are really distinctive with their song um, are migrating birds. And so they just come, you'll mostly see them in like the spring and summer, uh, but in the winter they go away. So they fly down to like South America, Central America and stuff. So... Um, I, every spring it's like I'm resetting. So like right at the end of spring, I'm usually like really good, like 120 maybe. Um, but yeah, kind of as the year goes on, the birds start being quiet more. That's I crazy. kind of start to lose a little bit, probably drop down to I 80. But I don't think I have brain capacity to memorize <laughs> that many noises. It no. takes, yeah. It I takes don't know that many study. words. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a whole bird song. That's true. So, so like you, you would be able to like, and I'm just thinking ducks because we hunt ducks. Yes. Yeah. So like you would be able to distinct like a mallard from like a green winged teal or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can, crazy. those are, I mean, that's a pretty easy comparison. They're not too much different. Um, but if it was like, uh, I don't know, like a mallard and a cinnamon teal, I might have a little bit harder time because they're a little bit closer. Green wing teals, if it was like a green wing teal and a northern pintail, I might have a little bit harder time telling them apart. But see, so that's like... That's a whole new level. Yeah, because I'm like, for us, because, you know, you have bag limits on ducks when you hunt them, it's like once you start getting close to the bag limit, you have to start being able to like know what the duck is. And Mm -hmm. that's where if you knew what they sounded like... Yeah, and like, and we we're we're getting there because we're like kind of new to the duck hunting world. Right. We're, we've been yeah. more big game, and so like the last couple of years, and so it's like when you see them coming in, like how they fly, you can tell a difference, you yeah. know, by like wing beats and everything. Kind of like the whistle of the wings, you can kind of tell mm-hmm. a difference. And then yeah, they make they do make different noises, but 
I mean, that's something that we're still trying to figure yeah, out that's and nuts, learn. Though. Like, it's, well, yeah, and I mean, through my birding, there's a lot of duck hunters that also bird, and I've met some of those people. Um, living down in Utah, there's you know the Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge. That's yeah, a oh, yeah. big spot where people go duck hunting, um, but it's also huge for birders. Um, mm. And and so some of the people that I've run into that are duck hunters that bird man, they're, like, way better than I am at identifying really? these, these ducks. Just, like, people that have been shooting ducks for, like, their whole life, you yeah. know? And, I mean, just to be clear, as a birder, there's a lot of birders that are kind of, like, against hunting. Yeah. I, was, I was actually you know, just going to ask that. Yeah, yeah, so. I want to know what that relationship's like between birders and then, like, bird hunters yeah. slash birders. Like, what's that relationship like? So, I mean, obviously, you can see the natural like conflict there like mm-hmm. i want to see more birds yeah if you're shooting them there's less birds but it, it's like way more complex than that and when i go birding i usually don't have to like pay anybody or like like i don't have to get a tag to go see a right. salmon teal or you know wood duck right. or something um and so i just go and if it's like a wild refuge you know where you have to pay to get in i pay to get in yeah. but like mm-hmm. hunters put way more money into stuff like this and yeah that money usually goes to like conserving habitat mm-hmm. and that's not just good for the ducks that's good for like common yellow throats that's good for marsh wrens that's good mm-hmm. for like all these different birds that you hear when you're in those habitats yeah. so i i personally think that birders should should be nice to hunters yeah <laughs> you know well we appreciate that cause, yeah. <laughs> and like i would have i don't think i'd have a problem with shooting a duck like myself yeah. like if i went out there I would identify it, and if it was something I hadn't seen before, I'd mark it down on my list and I'd shoot it. <laughs> but <laughs> there's not time for that. Mark but, it down yeah. first. Yeah. Mark it down first. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I've, I've had that question. And I, I still get on the fence a little bit like that when I'm hunting. It's because you have like a short window where you can actually hunt and like right. shoot the animal. But we go out scouting like all the time and yep. are just watching these animals. And you, and you know as a, a birder that you gain a great appreciation for these animals like it's so awesome to watch them in their natural habitat and how they act and how they interact with you know their own species and everything and so there's like a little bit of remorse every time you know like that you that you kill them you know like Like one less animal out there right i I do feel bad and and we don't have to get into that rabbit hole because that's a whole conversation but yeah I, i was curious i was gonna ask you that same question of like how that relationship is with like the birding community against these people that are killing the birds and i've kind of thought about it i've thought about that a lot before and kind of the conclusion i've come down to is like you either and people can disagree with me if they want but you can either look at humans as you know a part of the environment or totally separate from the environment Mm. and i think if you think of them as part of the environment then we can give and take a little bit you know what i mean so yeah, and I uh, guess I guess I'll dive into the rabbit hole a little bit. I knew. Sorry. I knew. <laughs> no, that's my bad. See, I knew that that wasn't going to stop you. You, you like, said the things no you way. did, and I'm like, yes, I'm going to partake in this. There's no <laughs> way. Well, yeah, it's just I, I I agree. Like us as humans have invaded on natural animals' land. You know, like that's just by putting the, up a house. That's, that's the matter happens. of the fact. You know, like we have built our cities, we've built our civilization, and it's impacted the environment. So therefore, we need to be stewards. We need to take care of them. And hunting can play a part in that where it is, 
you know, you're managing populations. Yeah. That's why I have a good respect for the fishing game. You know, they're, they're watching these populations saying, okay, in this area, there's an overabundance of elk. Right. You know, there is yeah. a, th- that happens in certain areas. And it's like, we need to give out more tags to keep that population back. Because if there's too many elk, they're going to eat too much of the foliage, you know, of all that undergrowth. And it's going to be detrimental to a lot of the other animals in this area. And vice versa with, like, predators. That's why we're big bear hunters, you know, is because yeah. you get an overabundance of bears in a certain area. Because we, we put them in these little boxes. Yeah. You know, like, we, we have taken you know, a lot of the, their land and put them in these boxes. So they're not really in the natural habitat that they would have been if we wouldn't be here. Right. You know, like these elk are in a smaller area that's, they're easier to hunt for wolves for, for an instance, you know, there. And so there it's our job to be stewards of that. And a part of that can be hunting, you know, to manage a, a, a environment and, you know, keep the ecosystem healthy. And I think also having conversations like this where, cause now, you know, prior to having a conversation with someone who birds and looks at birds and you know as, as we get into this we'll understand it more but i think having these kinds of conversations allows me to go out into the out into the outdoors and if i come across somebody birding instead of viewing it as get the freak out of here scaring all the birds it's now <laughs> this like oh hey mutual respect yeah you're just appreciating the outdoors i'm appreciating the outdoors yeah. yes i'm carrying a gun you are not Mm-hmm. respect though either way so i think i think it's cool i think having these conversations helps open you know open up my eyes to to other other outdoor activities that might cause for us to like come across them while we're partaking in hunting or fishing or whatever yeah so that's no, cool that's good and kind of going back a little bit to what ben was saying um there's all kinds of new research that's coming out that's saying diversity and you know richness of an environment goes down when you take humans out of the picture, you know, we have all this basis of study of areas that we've just completely taken humans off of, like all these national parks that have like, there's certain areas where like humans just can't touch. Yeah. And we've gone back in and researched that area and diversity has gone down in those situations. And so good stewardship and, and good management of areas, not just like wildlife populations, but like, you know, trees, forests, brush, grasslands and stuff like They've been managed for a long time mm-hmm. by people, and you know they've the more or the the better they're managed, the, the higher diversity goes, and it's a good thing. So yeah, and that's just Mother Nature. I mean, if it takes its course, that animals go extinct. You know, you know yeah. they get they get wiped off. They they can't survive, and and animals adapt and everything. And so yeah, if we want to keep that diversity, which I think most people do, you right. know, that have an appreciation for the outdoors. Like yeah. I like seeing a diversity of animals and healthy ecosystem. And so it's kind of our job to manage that. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, not everybody needs to be a hunter. Like that, yeah. that's not for everybody. And, and that, and that would ruin the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, so, so I guess, uh, I guess diverting a little bit back. Yeah. I'm curious to know. <laughs> back out of the rabbit hole. We made it out. <laughs> yeah, we found the other end. Um, but I'm curious to know, like, so for, you know, just to relate it to what we know. So when we hunt, we look for certain, like, habitats, areas, things like that. So when you're birding, um, obviously, like, with ducks, you know, if you look for wetlands or whatever. Um, but is there... In your experience, have you gotten to a point where, okay, if you see a certain type of foliage or plant or, um, you know, whatever, is that like, oh, this is going to be a money spot for fill in the blank with a bird? Like, have you gotten to that point? And, and what, what are some of the more common, like, yeah. habitats that you look for? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So it, it's very dependent on the species that you're trying to find. Um, and one thing to also remember is that um, birds have wings and they fly <laughs> and they're not going to be where you want them to be yeah. <laughs> every single time. Um, and so it can be addicting in the same way that like gambling on a slot machine is addicting because like, you know, sometimes you hit it and sometimes you don't. Um, even if everything's just right, sometimes right. you just don't see the bird because they have wings. They could yeah. be in the next canyon <laughs> over, you know? Um, so like I've been... <laughs> So, for example, I've been out looking for northern goshawk for a long time, and that's, like, been my nemesis bird. Like, I've gone out searching for that thing and missed it tons of times. But what I'm looking for is fairly high elevation in the mountains. Like, I'm thinking in Utah, I'll go, um, you know, up in a canyon, Mm -hmm. probably try to get off the trail as much as I can and just go straight up the mountain um, to where on the shady side of the mountain where there's more pines, less juniper, more pines, really tall pines. And then, um, I've had people tell me with the Northern goshawk, it chooses when it wants to be seen and you don't get to see it, but there's like a specific habitat you want to be in. You want to be pretty rocky, pretty high elevation. Um, you want it to be that the nemesis bird. Yeah, that's the nemesis bird. Oh no. Yep, northern goshawk, oh, man. See, and that's so crazy to me because, like, I can look at that and I'm like, I can think of, like, ten other birds that look like this. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be impossible for me to identify. <laughs> so at that point, is is it the elevation and the habitat that's like, oh, this uh, is you a know, goshawk? Yeah. Is that, like, what would set it apart if you saw one, like, flying? You'd be like, oh, I know what that is. Not necessarily. So they, they live in pretty similar habitats to other – so they're in a family called Excipiters. Um so we're talking sharp-shinned hawks, Cooper's hawks, and northern goshawks. That's kind of the ones that we think about when we think of accipiters. And they all really like dense pines. Um, the other two are a little more common, um, and they look fairly similar. Uh, an adult northern goshawk is way more like gray and like kind of um, less like browns and reds. Um, so when you see an adult northern goshawk, it's like there's nothing else that looks like an, an adult northern goshawk, mm. at least in the habitat you're going to be in. Like if you go over to Europe, there's some other species and stuff. But, right. Um, but here in North America, if you see something that looks like that, it's like, okay, that's, yeah. it's a huge hawk that like, if it looks like an accipiter, but like twice the size as the other ones and, and you're up in the mountains and it's gray, you know, that's kind of, there's all these different things. And I, my brother-in-law is into bird wa- or birding and, and he's, um, he's a doctor and he says it's very similar to like diagnosing a sickness. Like when you're trying to identify a bird, there's all these different factors. And you know, your bird that you're, that you think you saw could match up perfectly with something that's just like not found there, Hmm. you know? Yeah. Like you don't want to diagnose it as something that that just is totally impossible. Um, And so usually like I've gone out and seen a bird and not left it unidentified because I I don't know for sure what it was. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's an interesting experience, like, as far as integrity goes. Because, like, you're out there. It's just you. It's just your list, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you could, if it's plausible, you could say that you saw it, you, you know. But if you did, it, it spoils the whole experience. You know what I mean? Because like, then you'll forever question it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have it on my list, but, but did I actually could it have been something else? Yeah, it probably oh, could have been. Man. And so... That is frustrating. Yeah. 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 So 
and there's experiences like that that you can have hunting and fishing too, you know, like where it's like, Ugh, so close, but like my ethics are keeping me yeah. from like bagging that one. You yeah. know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you get that a lot with birding. Um, and so sometimes like people will, you know, if you've had an experience like that where you've had to go, like, leave it unidentified, it becomes like, okay, now I really need to go out and find this bird and get yeah. a really good, maybe get Closure. a picture, get a really good look at it, you know. So um, that's kind of fun. And I have a few nemesis birds that, you know, you just try so hard, you can't quite see them, you know. That's you've been crazy. out there in the right place at the right time, you just still can't quite see them. So, yeah, you kind of answered my next question there of like, how often do you go out and like see a bird where you're like, I don't know what that is? I, well, I mean, I think about that, and, and like technically, almost every single time I go out, I see something fly past, uh-huh. and it's too quick. I can't quite identify. It. It's probably something that's pretty common that I've seen before, and we'll yeah. see on that exact bird walk. But, but like sometimes it's like, you know, a little bit more acute in the sense that like that looked a lot like what I wanted to see, <laughs> but I don't quite have enough. Yeah. To to nail it down. Um so and especially that happens when like I only hear something and yeah. I'm like, oh like I wish I recorded that, you know. There's some birders that go out with really nice like recording equipment, like hmm. parabolic microphones with like the big disc on them. <laughs> and just to avoid that. And that that's where like a lot of the like really, really nice binoculars and spotting scopes scopes come into play. Mm-hmm. Um it's for that exact reason. Like you don't want to like maybe see something. And so people will spend a lot of money to get like the best binoculars so that they don't have that experience. Like Mm -hmm. they have a little bit more of an edge. They can maybe see that much more of what's going on. Um, Same with like the microphone equipment. You want to hear stuff that's going on. And so you can like go back and like replay it and, and compare it with other people's recordings and make sure you got it just right. So yeah yeah you get that, pretty crazy <laughs> I, i've heard that i was I, I work at mountain archery and so i sell a lot of like hunting and archery equipment and we we deal with you know vortex and Leica and swarovski and i was talking to a guy sold him some nl pures oh, oh, oh that's a lamborghini of i binoculars, know man. i know and they actually <laughs> came in because we had to they were back ordered and so i got them in and i was like looking through them and my life has changed after looking through there. It's like, it's that's amazing. the goal. They're like $3,000. Yeah. 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 But, but he was saying, he's like, I've been looking through them, but really what sold me, I've been reading reviews and the birding community has signed off on these. Oh yeah. And they're way more particular than any hunting community <laughs> out there. He's I... like, if the birders pass, <laughs> pass them off, then they're going to be pretty dang good. Yeah. I've talked to hunters that, tell me about these nice binoculars that they, that they got. And I'm just like, eh, okay. Yeah. It's some part of Yeah, this. whatever. <laughs> They're okay. <laughs> They're, They're okay. okay. But, but yeah, those NL Pures, have you looked through those? Oh my gosh, yes. They are They're, so nice. They're like, right. Should I They're do this or list. should I get a nice, or like a crappy car? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, <should laughs> or live for three months. Exactly, you know? yeah. They're it's so expensive. They're, but they're something else, man. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the, the best thing Swarovski makes are their uh, BTX spotting mm. scopes? Yeah, you with tried the those? two eyes. Yes, yeah. and the forehead rest. Yeah, and like the 115 Freak. millimeter. Now we're getting objective into some lens. serious money, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's like it's ridiculous. Yeah, those are even more than the NL peers. That, yeah, I think they're about like five grand when you're adding like the BTX eye eyepiece and then like the 
uh, 115 millimeter objective lens, I think you're like looking at like five grand. But it's are things like the size of a volleyball. It's like, incredible. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, they're incredible. But you got to spend the money to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I guess that kind of is a segue into something else that we could talk about. It's kind of like the gear getting into getting into birding. Like, what do you need to get into that? Like, what what's kind of like your startup cost to be able to do it because we're talking about this high-end gear that's like oh it'd be so nice but obviously you don't need that yeah. nice of no, stuff you don't. but at the same time it's like you probably might have a bad experience if you don't have at least to this level that's how hunting is anyways yeah. it's like yeah you can get by with some really crappy gear but you're probably going to have a crappy experience yeah but at the same time you probably don't need the most expensive stuff out there. Well, you and, that, know? and that's something that we've talked about in previous episodes, talking about like, um, it's really, you're, you're spending money for a certain level of comfort, which might not necessarily be the same in the birding, you know, community. But, um, yeah, I would be curious to know like bare minimum. What does it look like for you, for you to basically ensure you're going to at least have a good experience that might like bring you back out. Yeah. That, that's what we want to know. No, that's good. Um, like I said before, like you can see birds just walking out your front door. You can set mm-hmm. up a feeder. That's pretty low cost. You'll see some birds. But if you want to have a little bit more of like a birding experience, like a seeking out and finding kind of experience, which to me is most rewarding mm-hmm. is when I like have a target bird that I want to see. And then I go out and I see it. Yeah. Right. You know, like, so you kind of need a bare minimum. Um, binoculars are, I mean, you just need them. Like just because of, as opposed to like a spotting scope or some other kind of like a like a monoscope or something that you put on a right like just for sheer maneuverability like sometimes a bird's flying really fast and you just got to whip them up you know you just yeah. got and you got to be able to see what you're looking at so binoculars work really good for that so, um, so what would be a entry level binocular yeah so my the first ones i got which is the ones that i still use are uh vortex crossfires mm. um as far as i don't know if you want to get into like actual optics but um most birders will stick to either like a 10 by 42 or an 8 by 42 yeah if you get too high so just for those who don't know the first number that i'm saying 8 or 10 that's the magnification and then the second number in a more confusing way kind of talks about field of view yeah right so um so 42 is, is, de- is good enough for birding um, for the field of view. But the 10, if you go higher than 10, it's sometimes it can be too much zoom. Magnification. gets yeah. shaky when you're just freehand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. for hunting. Because you don't have yeah. like, a, like a tripod you're putting it up on. You're just you know using just your muscles. And so that can get a little too shaky. Uh, some people in the East Coast where like the forests are a little more... Um, like packed in they don't go above eight just because you know there's no reason to and mm-hmm. it gives them a little more stability um i went with a 10 mostly just because i out here in the west things are a little bit more open right um a so, lot of mountains yeah a lot of mountains you know a lot of grasslands um marshes and stuff like that so i like to see just a little bit further and i'm pretty young you know i don't i can hold my binoculars up for a little while with my muscles. Yeah. there's some like older birds that i know that like to you know, go with lower magnification just because, you know, they get tired of holding them up for a while. So it's just kind of up to you on your comfortability. I've heard from people, you probably shouldn't get binoculars that are less than a hundred dollars. Like anything less than a hundred dollars, you should be curious about and really look into it. Um, if you see like 
great deal, $25 binoculars. Right. Yeah. Just don't. <laughs> Just don't. It's no. not worth it. <laughs> no. You know, you might. But, I mean, I went to DI. I've, like gotten some younger kids into birding and, and you can just go to you know your thrift shop down the street and find some old binoculars that work right. okay um, yeah. and if, it, if it's okay and you can see good doesn't matter right you can get them for 10 bucks at a thrift shop yeah but i would go with something that's you know not less than 100 bucks i think these are like 120 mm-hmm. um it's nice too to have uh something to hold them up with um so most binoculars will come with like a neck strap um, I've found that if you're out for like longer than a half hour, sometimes the neck strap can get a little much. Um, things get really heavy after a, yeah. like a half hour just on your neck with that one point of, uh, contact. So you can get like harnesses. Um, yeah, there's just your simple, they kind of look like suspenders that, you know, they have like a diamond shaped thing on your back and then they come around your shoulders and hold the binoculars up. Um, or you can, I went a little crazy with my harness. Uh, <laughs> Cotton Carriers is a really good brand. Um, they have kind of a cool system, and I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but it's got this little thing that kind of locks in. Okay. Oh, that's nice. Um, so you can take it on and off really easy. Um, yeah, so those, I mean, I don't, I can wear my binoculars all day with this cotton carrier, and I don't feel them. Mm-hmm. So that just increases. They're, they're kind of more expensive, but, I mean, it, I can go all day. Like I said, you know, you don't even feel them. So, um, and then if you want, a camera can be nice. Um, mm-hmm. Traditionally, birders haven't really been photographers like in the olden times just because cameras are harder to take out and in, right. into, you know, the wilderness. Um, but, you know, cameras are becoming more accessible. So you can get some nice stuff. I mean, I've had this camera forever. It's just a little um, Canon power shot. SX530HS. I don't know what those numbers mean. Um, but it's got 50 times optical zoom, which is nice because you can I can see further with my camp, my little dinky point-and-shoot camera than I can with my binoculars. Mm. Gotcha. So, and then I can get a shot of it. And um, you can, sometimes for beginners, a camera is nicer just because you can get a shot of something that you can identify in the field. Mm. And then you can take that picture back and study it and figure yeah, out what it is you saw. Point. So, so, so binoculars maybe a camera yeah and a harness yeah um i see that you brought books as far as like identifying birds is that is that your main source of identification is is the reference books yeah well no <laughs> but they're nice to have um so it, it's kind of clunky to take a book out if you're like like me you know trying to find a goshawk i'm like scaling this mountain i don't want to be like carrying a book like I'm yeah going to school <laughs> or something um so they make apps um oh okay so there's a the Cornell Lab of Ornithology comes out with a lot of really good apps um, for birding. Uh, so their best one for beginners is called Merlin Bird ID. This is now our trail fork. Merlin Bird ID. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by. Just Sponsored by, yeah. So it's a, that's a good one just because you can see all the birds. And, and it's got a cool feature where it's got a few cool features. It's got a photo identification. So if you get a picture of it and you don't know what it is, you can plug, you can upload the picture oh, to the app and it'll tell you what it is. That's nice. Um, I would need that. There's <laughs> a thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. I use it all the time. And then the, a little bit more easy to use is a, uh, just like a checklist kind of thing. So it gets your, your location with your phone and then asks, it gets like the time of year that you saw it. And then you pick like the size of the bird and then the colors and then mm. 
you know, what it was doing. And then it kind of creates a list of possible birds that you could have mm. seen. Um, so it kind of narrows it down for you. So you're in the right neighborhood. Um, that helps a lot. And then you can look at the, the bird profile and like play the song and you're like, Oh, that's what I heard. Yes. That mm. was my bird that I saw. Um, and then, um, you can go back and just study the birds if you want. They just came out with a really cool technology on Merlin where you can record a bird and it will, using the sound technology, it will like identify the bird using the song. So that's really, that's really nice for beginners. Um, and they've been working on that for a long time. I've been following it and it's, uh, been years and they, they just came out with one that they feel like works good and it's pretty impressive. Like it, it gets hmm. them right on. Um, and yeah, so that, and then books for like when you're at home to you get the spare minute, you can study up on your birds. You know, it's a little bit more, it's nice to have something in your hand looking at, um, mm. And yeah, the nice thing too about Merlin Bird ID is it connects to a database called eBird, and that's also connected with the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And they, um, so eBird tracks bird species and sightings by birders. So it's kind of just like community science project where it just compiles all the bird sightings that all these birders have ever submitted and kind of gives you a good idea of like where you might see a bird. Um, also if you're in a place where there is a community of birders, you can, which is most places, um, you can like go on and see what other people are seeing and where they're seeing them. And then if Mm. you have a target bird that somebody else is seeing, you can go out and try to find it. So that's kind of nice. Um, so eBird is a good one and, and Merlin bird ID. Those are what I use a lot. And then a good place to just write down your life list. eBird will keep track of your life list. Like you can make a profile. It's all free. And, um, and it keeps track of it for you. I kind of like to have some like where I can write it down. Yeah. Um, makes it seem a little more permanent, I guess, you know, if you're like writing it down. Yeah. So yeah, that's what this other book is. It's kind of got a place where I can write down my, um, sightings and, and then keep a tally of all the birds that I've seen. So I have like two kind of final questions. Tom might have some more. (laughs) So one is how many, what's your, what's your life list? What number are you to? Oh man, I got to look. Let's see. What so are we at? What are we at here? We're about 38 um, minutes. Okay. I got... Oh, you're oh that's a whole... That's end. all the way full. No. I got plenty of room to go. Uh, 273. So 300 is kind of like a big milestone for people. Yeah. Like you've really been doing something if you get to 300, um, especially out in the West. It's a little bit easier. They get a little more species out in the East Coast, but... Out here in the West, getting 300 is kind of like, all right. You've, you're a birder. You're, you are a birder. I mean, Official. you're a birder no matter what if you're trying to find <laughs> birds. But, like, 300 is kind of a big deal. 200 was kind of a cool uh, point, too. Um, so, yeah, my last one was a pinion jay. That was in southern Utah that I saw it. So, huh. um, it's crazy. That is. And <laughs> Just looking know. for birds. 300 yeah. of them. <laughs> here I am thinking there's only 12 birds that exist. I know. <laughs> Like, well, there's like four different kinds of ducks, uh, <laughs> an eagle, an eagle, <laughs> a hawk, an owl, yeah. just a yeah. hawk. <laughs> Man, when you start getting into it, you just start noticing everything around you. Like, yeah, and it's so yeah. cool. It brings such an awareness to the your surroundings with this kind of a mindset, right? Yeah. Instead of just being like, I'm in nature, there's birds flying around, it's like, oh, that's what that is. That's, that's what so that bird cool. is. That is so cool. You want yeah. to hear it? Yeah, that's distinct to that bird. Yeah, it would they're be cool. only here for like a month. That's crazy. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, that's that's where I think it gets cool. Because even on our bear hunting trip, we did we came across a cinnamon teal, 
and I had never seen one before. Oh yeah, um, those but are I, cool. But I was like, it's like oh, a trophy dang. in the waterfowl like hunting world. Yeah, you know, at, at least, least for here. around here yeah. because they're not common at, during the fall. And so we saw one, and I was like, I've never freaking, I've never seen that kind of duck before, you know. And in my mind, I was like, but it's just a duck, like it's a duck. Yeah. But then Ben's like, oh, but they're super rare. And I was like, yeah. okay, now I'm like intrigued yeah, by cool. this yeah. duck. Yeah. So I could see where that would be pretty cool if you're like out, even if you're just out hunting and then you see this, your your nemesis bird, whatever that one's Northern called. Northern goshawk. Yeah. You see that <laughs> and it's like literally people dream about seeing this bird. And yeah. I just saw one. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. It's the novelty of it. It's yeah. pretty cool. There's a owl that you can pretty much only get in the Rockies in like southern idaho utah and some parts of arizona in the summertime it's called a flammulated owl and uh man people i've taken people personally that have like traveled from florida to come out and see this owl so you've seen it i've seen it yeah um and there's some people there's a guy in in salt lake county that i know who like he makes a business around like taking people to find flammulated owls that's like crazy. people will pay him that for a guaranteed bird. sighting of this specific <laughs> bird. And so he'll like, he'll be out in the springtime, like tracking down spots where he thinks he might see him and then he'll see him and then he'll go out like almost every single night or every other night to try and like make sure he's got a handle on these there owls. There she is. Got black demon eyes. Does yeah. That look right. Yeah. It makes him hard to see because it's, I don't know anybody that's seen one of those owls during the day. That would look um, like a, uh, like a tree trunk. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see them in the daytime. And at night, they're harder than other owls because if you're spotlighting or using a flashlight, their eyes don't shine. Hmm. Like most owls, their eyes will like reflect back something so you can kind of track them down. But these guys, you just got to know what you're looking for. Yeah. Gosh, dang. I've always found them by sound. Like I'll, I'll hear them or like I'll call them in with with um, song and then they'll they'll come in. and. That's a whole nother. We're going to have to take a break before we get into that. <laughs> it's pretty fun. And when they fly in and everybody's like, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's a fun experience. It's, yeah. It's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. I'm going to have to get your other questions after a break. Yeah. Yeah, let's take a Sounds quick good. break. This will be the end of part one of the episode with Joe Andreessen about birding. And we will be right back with you for part two. Stay tuned.